hour, or I guess technically we lost it today, right, if you're changing it at 2 a.m. So it's great to see you. Uh, let's go ahead and start with prayer, and then we'll uh, look at 2 Corinthians this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you. We thank you for the privilege to meet together to discuss your word, to share what you've said. I pray, Father, that you would help what you've said to be clear. I pray, Father, that you'd give us insight. I pray that you'd help us to apply what you've said, help us by the power of your spirit to carry out in obedience what you are encouraging us to do here. And I just pray if there's any, Father, uh, in, under the sound of this message who has not come to the light, who has not truly come to know Christ, we pray that you would shine uh, the light of the gospel into that dark heart and bring them to the light. Father, help us to understand and apply your word today, and may it honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to bring up a picture here of a company that uh, perhaps many of you are familiar with. If you're probably 20, maybe 30 years old, you probably know the name of this company. The name of the company is Enron. And uh, if you remember Enron, or if you didn't know, Enron was a company that got in trouble uh, many years ago because they were improperly uh, reporting earnings and losses, essentially a huge shell, shell game in a way they were playing. But uh, they were uh, not properly reporting earnings and losses, and what resulted in happening with that was the stock prices of the company went up quite a bit. And those in leadership, therefore, who were involved in this made out quite well at the time uh, and uh, benefited significantly from those inflated prices. But there started to be some evidence that there were problems and there was actually a well-respected, at the time, accounting firm called Arthur Anderson which got involved. Now an accounting firm is supposed to do auditing and be a measure of integrity bringing to the financial process to make sure that there's nothing wrong. Well, the recommendation that came from this accounting firm to the company was shred your documents. Basically, destroy the evidence. So the company started doing that, but eventually things caught up to them. They end up going bankrupt, and the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, got involved and did a full-scale investigation, as, as well as uh, other branches of the, the government. And eventually what happened was uh, people were convicted. People were convicted for uh, fraud and many, many different things. And the company, Arthur Anderson, essentially, though only a few of them were involved in the scandal, they were charged with obstruction of justice for their recommendation on destroying the evidence. And as a result of that, that company, even though only a few were involved, that company had to give up its CPA license, and uh, the result of that was 85,000 people lost their jobs. Now, when we look at a situation like that, it's certainly a lesson about the problem of sinful deception and the consequences of it, right? This is a company, this Arthur Anderson, in fact, was a company that's supposed to bring accountability and truthfulness and honesty to the process, and yet they failed to do that job, didn't they? And it's a disgrace. Um, in a similar manner, we as believers in Jesus Christ are supposed to have integrity. 
And when we fail to do so, it is a great travesty. And uh, what we're going to see this morning is an encouragement in 2 Corinthians about the necessity as messengers of the gospel that we do it honestly, openly, transparently, and with integrity. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying about his own ministry in preaching the gospel. He did it with integrity. And so we're going to talk today about holding forth the light of the gospel and doing that with integrity as we need to do. Uh, Because we are representatives, right? We represent God. God is truth. God says about himself that he cannot lie. So how can we, as representatives of him taking his message, do it in a way that is deceitful or crafty or deceptive? It doesn't fit who we're representing, does it? We need to have integrity, and that's what Paul talks about. So let's go ahead and read 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 1 through 6, which will be our text this morning. It says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in the craftiness or adultering the word, word of God, but by manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in in, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So as we talk about holding forth the light of the gospel from what we see here in 2 Corinthians 4, I want you to see first of all that we need to preach or proclaim the message of the gospel clearly. Now, Paul is talking here in in a transition statement at the very beginning of of chapter 4. He says the word, therefore, since we have this ministry. Paul is uh, describing his refusal to quit doing this ministry, even though he's encountered opposition and people have accused him of wrongdoing. He is stating his refusal to quit faithfully, clearly preaching the gospel, And that's how he starts out in verse 1. He says, therefore, the idea is in light of everything he's just said. Now, if you were here last week, we talked about the old covenant versus the new covenant and how the new covenant is glorious. I use the illustration of my old uh, computer that I got back in 1984 and how it was great at its time, but... Now it's, it's, it's nothing, and it couldn't even run the software that we use nowadays. In a similar way, the old covenant served a purpose. God had a point for it, and it was good. But because of the sinfulness of mankind, uh, it wasn't permanent and couldn't ultimately save. So what happened is God sent his son. His son became man, lived a perfectly righteous life, and died on the cross in our place so that we can have uh, life through him and our sins be forgiven and have life and have access to God. So Paul is 
been stressing in chapter 3 how great and glorious the new covenant is. It's so much greater, so much better than the old. The old doesn't even have a purpose anymore other than for us to look back and, and learn some things about how God worked in the lives of people at that time and some things about the nature of God. But we, we live under the new covenant ministry and Paul was involved in this and he was talking about how great that is and therefore he's not losing heart. He's continuing to do the work of the ministry because of this great ministry that's been given to him. He says we have this ministry, the ministry of the new covenant. He is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and he is entirely committed to it. He says he does not lose heart and he says as we have received mercy he is pointing out here that he is a recipient of mercy and therefore he has the privilege to carry out this ministry it is not something that he's earned it's not a right that he has it's not because of his own goodness but it is because of the mercy of God that he has a privilege to be involved in this and he's committed to it as we also should be but his emphasis here really comes in verse 2. If we look at verse 2, we see that he is rejecting dishonest methods. He is rejecting dishonest methods of going about the preaching of the gospel. He says in verse 2, But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God. So he is rejecting dishonest methods. The idea here of renounced is that of disowning he is distancing himself from these kind of evil practices and he talks about things hidden the idea is that which is secret people in communicating messages certainly in his day and the same happens in our day would would be secretive and talk about secret knowledge or you had to be part of a special club or do special things to get the ability to understand and Paul's saying it's not that way with us we are presenting the truth of the gospel openly publicly we're not hiding anything we are transparent in our ministry and he and he also alludes to why uh, people would go about a ministry by hiding things he says because of the things that are shameful there's sinfulness they hide because it is wrong or is motivated by evil desires but Paul is pointing out his ministry is not that way they've been very purposeful about being honest and transparent and how they do their work and he points out that they are authentic they are not acting deceptively he says not walking in craftiness the the idea there is being subtle to try and get your purpose, your selfish purposes accomplished. He's not acting that way. They're not operating for selfishness. They're not trying to be deceptive or achieve things for themselves. They're being transparent. He is communicating the gospel with integrity. He is being truthful. He's being sincere, as we saw in previous messages, how he was very purposeful about being sincere in how he communicated with them. He had a genuine love for them as people and those in need of the gospel. And eventually, as they became Christians, wanting to shepherd and encourage them. But Paul was rejecting the dishonest approach to ministry. He was 
not being crafty or deceptive or trying to hide things from them. And he also says very importantly here that he was not distorting the word of God. It was a common thing in his day that the word of God would be used for selfish purposes. People would go around teaching things based on God's word, but would do so for selfish purposes or to get gain. And Paul is making a point here that he is not using the word of God to manipulate or to get something for himself. If, you, if, if you've been here for a few weeks or you, you've, you know much about Corinthians, what you know about Paul and how he approached the ministry at Corinthians is he didn't take any money from them. He went in as a tent maker, basically provided for himself, or had other churches that helped meet his needs, but he didn't take money from the Corinthians. He wanted to be very clear that he was not there to gain something from them. And they were a new congregation. He wanted to serve them and help them and teach them the word of God. He is very purposeful about using the word of God as it is intended to be used and communicated. Now, in contrast to the dishonesty, he then says what he has done, and he says he has revealed God's word openly. Look at the rest of verse 2. It says, but by the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He has revealed God's word openly. It says the manifestation of the truth. The manifestation means to make known, to to declare publicly, to, to reveal. That's the idea of the word. So he is simply revealing the truth. He's not inventing concepts to share. He is simply sharing what God has revealed. His ministry is to make known to them the word of God. And he, and he talks here as well about the personal accountability. He's commending himself to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. As we talked about at the end of chapter 2, he knows that the ministry he's doing is going to ultimately be accountable to God. So he is doing all this with accountability. He is publicly declaring the truth. He is simply revealing what God has said, and he's trying to make the message of the gospel clear, the message of God's word clear and public so that they would understand it. He's trying to be transparent, to simply make it known not to be deceptive or use the word of God for his own purposes uh, to change or alter it to get something for himself. Paul is simply sharing what God has written, knowing that it is God that's written it. Therefore, why change it? It can't be better, right? The Almighty has given it. He, he, he knows better than to alter it. By way of illustration. I just wanted to uh, share this example with you. I, I don't know how many of you know are a student of literature. Perhaps you're familiar with John Milton. Heard that name before? He uh, is famous for having written the poem Paradise Lost. So perhaps I see some nods. Perhaps you're familiar with that. Um, but even if you did know that John Milton wrote this poem, did you know that by, 19, or by 1654, which was before he had written this poem, he, was, he went completely blind. And what he had to do as, as a poet was he had to dictate his verse or his prose uh, 
to these amanuenses who would copy what he says out for him. So when he comes to write the Paradise Lost poem in 1658, and it took him apparently six or seven years to do so, he recited this to those that were listening so that they could record and put that down. Now, I had an English teacher in college that informed us that there's been some debate. Some of the debate was, did these people that recorded this for him actually alter it in some way? Did they actually insert their own ideas or was this really a work of these recorders as opposed to John Milton? Now, my English teacher's opinion was that it was the work of John Milton and her argument was that these people working for him would have recognized his greatness as a poet and therefore not want to change or alter what he had written because it would have been better than what they would have come up with. You see the point here? The same concept is true about the word of God. We can't improve on it. We, we, we don't change it because we can't make it better. The goal that we have as believers is to share the gospel, not change or try to improve it or make it better. We can't. The Almighty God has written it and has used men to record it. Yes, he did use men, but we're told that they wrote as moved by the Holy Spirit. So we preach, we share the good news of Jesus Christ. We share the word of God, not changing or altering it, recognizing that God himself wrote it. We can't make it better. And I would also say, as a preacher of the gospel, and you're looking for uh, the next pastor, the motivation for expository preaching, what, what we're doing here is expository preaching. We are going through the word of God, line by line, verse by verse, explaining the meaning. We're bringing out the meaning. I, at least not intentionally, I am not adding to what God said. I'm not trying to alter what was said or add my own ideas in. I'm simply trying to expose to you what God has said. That's expository preaching. Exposing or revealing what God has said. That's what Paul was doing. He was sharing the good news. He wasn't altering it. He wasn't using it for selfish or sinful purposes. Now, I realize we're, we're a church that has a history of expository preaching. And so we think, well, yeah, right, of course. We would never do anything different than this. But we need to be careful about how we share the gospel with people. Do we try to soften the message of the gospel when we share it with them? If you understand the gospel, it's confrontational. The gospel says we're sinners. We're, we fall short of the glory of God. We are deserving of his wrath. The Bible tells us God's wrath, God's anger is coming and is going to be poured out against sinners. It is a confrontational message. We need to be careful not to alter the message because we're worried about the response of the audience. Or another way we potentially could manipulate is trying to force people into decisions that aren't genuinely being made. 
We can try to walk somebody through praying real quick a prayer so we feel good that, hey, we've led somebody to Christ and we're manipulating them. Now, we do need to be persuasive because these matters are urgent, but we need to be careful not to cross over into pushing people to walk through a prayer to make ourselves feel good or us to count, uh, give ourselves credit for having won somebody to Christ. We need to be careful in our explanation of the gospel not to soften it, but at the same time, we need to be careful not to make it too easy to accept either. I have a family member who, when was a teenager, had a relative that forcefully shared the gospel, and this relative of mine went through the motions of praying a prayer because this was an authority figure in the person's life and was forcefully presenting and forcefully encouraging to pray, pray this prayer, and so this family member did. And now, many, many years later, I'm trying to pray for and encourage this person to trust in Christ. It's a barrier that I've had to deal with. We need to be careful not to manipulate the gospel. We need to be careful in how we communicate it. We do so clearly, publicly, transparently share it. But we need to be careful not to try and manipulate people to respond as we would like them to respond. Ultimately, God has to work in their hearts. And we also see in verse 3, there's going to be conflicts that come up. We should hold forth the light of the gospel by preaching it clearly, but we should also understand we're going to encounter conflicts when we do so. And Paul makes us aware of two conflicts here. I'll just bring them both out in verses 3 and 4. It is the obstacle of unbelief and the opposition of unclean spirits. So look at verses 3 and 4. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the first opposition is the obstacle of unbelief. Paul is acknowledging here, even though he is transparently, openly, proclaiming the gospel and doing so faithfully and accurately, there are still people that don't get it. There are still people who are confused. The reality is there are some that are confused and don't understand the message. And Paul points out the reason for that confusion. What is the reason? Well, because of unbelief or because of spiritual interference. People don't understand, don't come to trust in Christ because they've rejected the gospel, because they're sinners who've refused to believe. And the result of that, if they continue in that state, is that he says they are perishing, they are dying, they are in the process that leads to death and ultimate destruction because they are unbelieving which also should give us a sense of urgency. If you think about it, they're in the process that we're told by Jesus, even in John chapter 3, those who do not believe are already condemned. It's not that we get to the end of our lives and then we have to choose and, and that's when we're, we're lost and we're going to ultimately be condemned. He says we're already under the condemnation. We're already under the wrath of God if we've not trusted in Jesus Christ. 
There's an urgency. The obstacle is unbelief, but he also says there's opposition of unclean spirits. He says the, the author of confusion here uh, is behind it. We're told in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians actually, that God is not the author of confusion. We know who the author of confusion is, and that is the God of this world, as he describes him here, Satan. There is a real person named Satan who has other angels working with him to purposefully oppose the plans and work of God. And one of their primary goals is right here, to hinder the work of the gospel in bringing people to Christ. That's what they're opposing. Their activities are to confuse, to hide the light from people. They are trying to hinder the light that would bring the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Think with me of a, a lighthouse. In our day and age, we, we live in a day of GPS, and we, we uh, have many tools to help guide us. But in years past, a lighthouse was a critical means of ships traveling on the ocean to avoid tragedy by running into the rocks if they got too close, right? A lighthouse would help the ship to know where they were going, where they were, to avoid those rocks and the danger. In a similar way, we as believers in Jesus Christ share the light of the gospel so that people can come to Christ, that they can be forgiven of their sins and have eternal life. And the evil angels oppose this work. So we should understand, even though this is a glorious ministry, it's a glorious opportunity for us to be involved in sharing the good news, it is also going to come with opposition. We should recognize that. And like Paul talked about, uh, being resolved to not lose heart, we also should be resolved to not lose heart when we encounter this opposition. The proper preaching of the gospel will meet with obstacles and opponents. Many in the world reject Jesus Christ and are blinded to the truth and therefore don't see the glorious light of the gospel. And we, we know that Satan and his angels are a part of the reason for that, but we also need to be faithful in doing our part to make sure we are making our light seen, that we are living faithfully for our Lord and sharing the good news with those around us. But let's see, lastly here, how he also talks about the content of what he's preaching. What is the content of his message in verse 5 and 6? In verse 5, he says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. He says here, who we preach about. It is not about ourselves. This is not a feel-good message. This is not a self-esteem message. This is not how, how, how to win friends and influence people. This is not about you. This is not how to get rich and have a luxurious, lazy life. This message is about the Savior. The subject of our message is Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ and his works. What's, what do we mean by the person of Jesus Christ? The person refers to who he is. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity. 
God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And mankind sinned and, and, and disobeyed God and therefore needed rescue from that sin. So what did God do? God's plan was to send his son. His son, the second person of the Trinity, became man. He joined the human race. He is the God-man, perfectly human and still God. He, as the Son of God and yet man, perfectly obeyed the Father, lived a perfectly righteous life on earth, never therefore fell under the curse of the sin, the curse of sin or the curse of the law, did not therefore have to die. But he willingly chose to die as our substitute. So as we're getting into his work now, he chose to die he went to the cross not because he was forced to but or he deserved to he was perfectly righteous he perfectly obeyed he did not have to die die dying is a consequence of sin he never sinned he lived a perfectly righteous life but willingly went to the cross yielding his life laying it down so that he as our substitute could die in our place and in the process of doing that, he took upon him the wrath of the father. The father punished the son on the cross, and he then made that payment in full, rose again, showing the payment was made, and that we can have eternal life through him, and we can have access to God through Jesus Christ. The requirement on us is to repent and believe in him. It's a glorious message. Our sins can be forgiven in Jesus Christ. We cannot earn righteousness with God. We cannot be right with him by doing more good than bad. The reality is if we really understood the scriptures and we really understood ourselves, we'd realize apart from God, we do way more bad than we do good. And even the good that might be done doesn't erase the bad that we did. The only way it can be resolved is God punished his son. But think about that. We're the guilty party. We're the ones that deserve punishment. And yet God punished his son. The father punished the son for us. The son who never did anything wrong. Willingly laid down his life that we can be forgiven through him, through his work. So Paul's saying we have this glorious message of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done for us. That's what we're preaching. That's what people need. And he says, if you want to think about us, he, he focuses in himself for one second. What's his role in all of this? Paul says about himself, he's a servant. And technically... It's a word we don't like to use nowadays. But the actual word, the actual meaning of what he's saying is, is worse than a servant. It's slave. Paul is saying we are slaves of Jesus Christ. We belong to him. He owns us. We serve him. And as serving him, we serve you too. 
So Paul says, if we're not preaching about ourselves, we're preaching about the glorious Savior. The message is about him. And he concludes here by a little bit of explaining why they preach Christ. And he says in verse 6, For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I think, first of all, he is pointing out God is the one who brings light out of darkness. He's been using light and darkness throughout this passage. And he says here that God is the one who brings light. If you notice carefully, he says in verse 6, for God who said, he's talking about the past, that light should shine out of darkness. So what would he be referring to in the past where God said this? The creation. The same God who brought light out of darkness is the same God who will bring light to our hearts. He is the one that gives us illumination. He is the one that opens our hearts, helps us to understand so that we can trust in Christ. And he says the message is in the person of Jesus Christ. It is the face, he says here, of Jesus Christ or the person of Christ. His point is, it is not enough to just understand that there is a God who made everything. We must understand and believe that it is the Son of God who joined the human race, who lived the perfectly righteous life and died in our place, and that only through him we can have life. We can't have eternal life just recognizing that God exists. We must have life by trusting in Jesus Christ. The message is about Jesus Christ. God sent his son to be the savior of the world. We are sinners who deserve eternal punishment, but we can have life through Jesus Christ. That is the message Paul is preaching, and he has a burden for communicating. It's a glorious, wonderful opportunity, and he is taking that very seriously. He preaches it openly. He realizes there's opposition but yet he is resolved not to give up. Now, as a concluding thought for you in applying this to our lives, we also need to take forward that message. We need to communicate the gospel to those that are around us. And I want you again to think about the concept of a lighthouse. Um, I found a quote from somebody who was apparently responsible for a lighthouse in the city of Kalai, which is in Europe, and as I understand, is uh, at a critical place in in the. Uh, uh, this is England here, and this is Europe, and it's and it's right in this area. So a very very important stretch of water through which many ships would go. And a person who had responsibility for a lighthouse at one time uh, in that area was talk was asked a question about the light in the lighthouse there. And, and this visitor that was talking to him said, what if one of the lights would chance go out? And his response was, never. Impossible, he cried, horrified at the thought. Sir, he said, pointing to the ocean yonder where nothing can be seen, there are ships going by to all parts of the world. If tonight one of my burners went out, Within six months would come a letter, perhaps from India, 
perhaps from America, perhaps from some place I have never heard of, saying, such a night at such an hour, the light of Kali burned dim. The watchman neglected his post and vessels were in danger. Ah, sir, sometimes in the dark nights in winter stormy weather, I look out to sea and feel as if the eyes of the whole world were looking at my light. Go out? Burn dim? Never. Now, if a man with responsibility for a lighthouse that protected people's physical lives sees that as so urgent... How much more urgent is it for us with the light of the gospel? It is their eternity at stake. We need to be very, very sober-minded about the responsibility to share that gospel light and to share it accurately. Now, now we shouldn't become so overcome with fear. I know, I know human nature and um, this, this can be my tendency in some things too. We shouldn't become so overcome with fear of doing it wrong that we don't do it. The, the need is urgent. We need to be careful in how we communicate it. And we also need to recognize that God also makes up for our lack, right? This ultimately is a work of God. We are co-laborers with God. But there is a great urgency. We need to share it accurately. If there's things we're not clear on we need to clear up let's figure those out not hinder ourselves from continuing to share it but we need to recognize also we're going to face opposition but we also need to remember to stay on point in our day and age there's lots of arguments there's all kinds of debate about all kinds of topics and whatever you want to engage in and, and frankly i often just do not even like to engage in political or other debates because ultimately that's not what people need Ultimately, they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have a better chance of getting their political views right if they're a believer in Jesus Christ. We need to be diligently holding forth the light of the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for encouraging us and challenging us with this great, wonderful privilege and yet a very sobering responsibility. We know that we cannot do this without your help. But that you intend us to partner with you. Help us not to be uh, attempting to be silent partners. We do need to pray. We, we need to be diligent to pray. But help us also, Father, to be bold in, in speaking. Help us to do so accurately. Not trying to manipulate people, but sharing the truth. Urging them because it's important. But help us, Father... To be faithful to share, help us to do so accurately. Help us not to be discouraged when we encounter opposition. And help us, Father, to be focused on our Savior. Help us to brag and rejoice and boast about our wonderful Savior and the wonderful salvation we have in him. Not because there's anything good in us, but because you are good and gracious and merciful. Help us to joyfully, therefore, Share the message that need the light. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.